Welcome to the Women Influencers in Business and CRE podcast. I am Veronica Malalas, CCIM, founder and CEO of Capital Stack Real Estate Group, a commercial real estate company serving the greater Orlando area. Today's guest is Rosie Chikmian. From sports management to operations and management of sports arenas and stadiums to director of franchise partnerships for Foxdale Coffee, Rosie's fabulous story is one you do not want to miss. Please don't forget to hit that thumbs up button and subscribe below. I welcome your comments and please share with someone who can benefit from this podcast. Hi, Rosie. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I am good. Boy, it is good weather today in Orlando, isn't it? Oh my gosh. It's like fall is here. (laughs) I know. Finally. Finally. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so funny because I saw something on Instagram that said there are only two seasons in Florida, right? It's summer or hot tum. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's still hot. That's about right. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty cool. So when we get when we get 60 degrees here, we all take out like leather jackets and boots and you know. Oh, yeah. The parkas come out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretend that it's nice and cold. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's it's really been awesome that you've agreed to come on this podcast. I am so Thank grateful. You. I know you're a very, very busy woman, so thank you so much. Well, I wanted to just go ahead and get started and give you an opportunity to share with our listeners the story of how you grew up in your environment and how you got to where you are today. Wow. Okay. Let's get started then. So I grew up in Miami, Florida, went to, I played volleyball, uh, got a full scholarship uh, playing volleyball to college, and so started my Um, undergraduate career in sports administration. And as I kind of moved through college, I ended up getting an internship with the Don Shula Foundation. That was a golf, tennis, and fishing tournament in Miami. And so as an intern, you kind of learn all aspects. You're just, you know, asked to help out everywhere and anywhere. And I found myself very interested in the operations and organization of all of it. So fast forward, Ended up getting a full-time job there, and then eventually they actually did away with the foundation, but one of the main sponsors was an arena football team in Miami, and they asked me to come on board with them to be their director of operations for their arena football team. And, you know, of course I shared with them, I have no idea how to play football. I don't know any of the rules. And, you know, you're going to ask me to do something like this. And they said, yep, you've got, you've got the abilities. We, we will train you on football and how to do it. And so it was a very fun, unique experience because you're in an arena, literally calling the commercial breaks and all the different promotions and things that are going on. And it's a very active and energetic kind of event. So I very much enjoyed that. And as I started doing that, I was meeting all the different people that were working in the arena. So got into arena management. Um, They offered me a job at Miami Arena. That was before the two arenas that are in Broward and Miami now. Offered me a job there to uh, basically be their director of operations. So ended up taking that job. Loved it. And eventually ended up working for the corporate organization, which managed that particular arena. So Leisure Management International had about, I want to say it's 28 or 30 stadiums, arenas, performing arts theaters across the southern part of the United States. And so my job as the corporate director of operations was basically to really help any of the operations directors from those facilities when they had large events going on or maybe a complicated situation where something was under construction, but they had a huge event. So they had to work around the construction, things like that. So kind of almost project management, but, you know, special event type. 
So I did that for several years. Um, one of the, I think, uh, coolest things about that particular job was in Houston, I helped build Reliant Park at the time, which right now I think it's called, uh, I want to say it's NRG Field, but it's where the Texans play. So it was the first retractable roof stadium at the time. Wow. Very cool. And I was kind of nuts and bolts into literally helping pick out furniture to designing where columns should or shouldn't go so that trucks can get in and out of the underground areas to these stadiums and stuff. So it was a pretty awesome experience. And then fast forward to where I am at Foxtail, it just makes everything so simple because, you know, I can envision space, you know, and and what it's going to look like pretty easily as a result of all of these events that I've done where you're literally just looking at a floor plan on paper and then you see it come to life, you know, and then you break it down the next night or that night, you know, and, and everything yeah. that you did just went away, you know, in half an hour kind of thing. <laughs> but let me, let me ask you a couple questions. So, so sure. firstly, you, my understanding is you actually have a master's in, and I, leisure management. Mm-hmm. leisure management. Wow. Very specialized field. That's really cool. And the second question would be your role in Foxtail. You've alluded to transitioning from what you did before to Foxtail. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you do for Foxtail. So Foxtail, I'm the director of franchise partnerships. So what that is, is basically, so I guess the caveat would be my brother-in-law owns Foxtail. He was the founder and and owner of Foxtail, created it from scratch. The idea was it was just going to be a couple stores, not necessarily something that franchised. Right. He kept getting approached as the brand developed here in Orlando. And so he asked me, I was running a social media company for him. He asked me if I would shift gears and come over and start working on this program with him very quickly. You know, he and I work fabulous together. We're deal makers. You know, we're really good at selecting partners, selecting deal structures and just, you know, implementing them. And so I think, um, you know, the combination of he and I in that focus really gave us a good, you know, opportunity to propel Foxtail. And so in two and a half years, we now have 58 locations that are open and we've got about another hundred and I think it's 77 or 80 that are actually sold that will be in six states over the next couple of years. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. And it's, it's been a lot of fun, you know, and it's been learning new industry, you know, for me, I mean, I'm taking obviously a lot of my experiences from the past and implementing them into this new part of my career. But um, I, I love that because I'm always willing to develop the next skill set and understand the next industry better and, you know, honestly, you kind of get to nitpick and pull apart some of the downs, downfalls of, you know, certain industries and go, oh, I can make that better. You know, oh, wow. if we just do it this way, this will be easier. And I think we've done a lot of things that are not necessarily the norm and the cookie cutter as a result of having not been in the industry and been trained that this is the way you have to do it, you know, type of thing. So wow. I've sort of put my own spin on a lot of uh, a lot of the way that we're propelling Foxtail. Yeah, I mean, I love it. I was just at Foxdale last Friday, actually, on Lee Road. And that's a fantastic experience because I think that particular location is partnered with, and I forget the name of the donut, the donut shop. Oh, Shaka Donuts, right? Yeah, that was really (laughs) awesome. I wanted to take a couple of minutes, if you don't mind, to just ask you about your childhood, um, how you were raised, and what really inspired you to get it? And, and I know the story about you working for for the sports company in Miami, which then right. eventually led you to the venue business. Sure. But but what is it about growing up that you that stands out that you, you'd want to share with us today? 
I mean, I was, I was raised, my father's Cuban, my mother's French. I was raised, I would say, in a pretty conservative household. You know, so for a young girl growing up, I was in the, I, I was born in 1971. So, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s and stuff, going through high school and all that, it sure. was still a pretty sheltered, you know, world. And so I loved sports. And I always, you know, kept asking my mom, even though I was in Catholic school, I want to play on the basketball team. And she kept saying, well, there's not a girl's basketball team right now. And I'm like, well, let me play on the boys basketball team. Then I'll just shoot <laughs> the points. You know? and, That's um, so awesome. She convinced the the priest to allow it. And, you know, they did. And honestly, I ended up going through college on full scholarships for volleyball and, and had the opportunity for basketball. And I think it was just sort of determination of wanting the next thing, even though someone says you can't do that. It's just like, well, why not? You know, let me let me go do that. And let me show you I can do it. And yeah. I think I've always had that type of attitude. Oh, that's fantastic. Is your mom kind of like that? Or was that something you'd rather your say- dad? I would say that my mom is probably very much like that. You know, she's kind of a can-do attitude. And I remember her as a kid, just, you know, she could go to Publix and get our groceries, take me to a bunch of games and, you know, be there for for that and make sure that she always was around. And then, you know, it was go home and iron Catholic school uniforms and, you know, (laughs) and she was just everywhere doing everything. And now, you know, fast forward, I could sit here as a mother going, oh my God, I have no idea how she did all the things she did. But um, yeah, so she was just very determined. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Did you grow up with siblings or do you have any? yeah, I have an older I have an older sister. She works in the healthcare industry down in Fort Myers. And then I have a niece as well. And now I have two young kids, a three year old and a six year old. Two wow. boys. Now, now my turn to ask you, how do you do it? <laughs> I know you're I, you know, I have no idea. I, I <laughs> my my <laughs> wife is amazing. She she takes care of almost everything of uh, with our kids and stuff. Oh, so okay. I get to actually be like a lot of, I'm fun mama, you know, so I get to show up to all the games and show up to all the things and have a great time with it. So it's, it's made my professional life, you know, given me the ability to kind of keep excelling in this. Yes. And, and that's really something that I think is a thread that, um, that runs with different stories that I've encountered, right? When, when somebody, a woman like you and me has a partner who like in my case, my husband has been very, very supportive and he takes on a lot of the household, you know, responsibilities to allow me to shine in what I do. So that's, that's really fantastic. Let me ask you a question, moving on to challenges. If there was one challenge that comes to mind that you overcame, what would that be? I mean, it would be as simple as just being a woman in a, at the time when I was a young woman, I was in my late twenties to thirties when I was really running all of the arenas and stadiums and stuff. And I came across countless, I mean, the entire industry was men and, you know, they would see me at initially as, you know, how did this young, cute girl get a job, you know, like doing this, like, what is this all about? And you could just, you could read it and see that that's what they were thinking. But then as they start to get to know me and I start, you know, providing them with the Excel sheets and the way that this could be organized and stuff, there was a level of respect that then came. And I think, you know, one of the things is that I never took it as demeaning. And I never took it as, you know, this was condescending or anything like that. I just sort of took it as this is just the way it is. And I can either 
let it be an obstacle or I can just go right through it and, you know, win these people over and show them that I know what I'm doing and that I can do this job and I can do it better than most people, you know? And I think that because that's the attitude I took, I have countless amounts of friends that run stadiums and arenas all over the country, even though I haven't been in that business now for a good, you know, probably 10, 12 years. So, and it's, it's wonderful for me. I get to go to all kinds of shows and just say, Hey, I'm going to be in your state and this show's playing. Can I get a couple tickets? And you know, they're all like, Oh my God, of course, Rosie, you know? So it's, it's been very nice. Oh, that's, that's amazing. And you kind of did not let that challenge limit you. I think you, you were bold, just like your mom and, and you're a go-getter and, and you just, I can tell you, I don't even know that I even saw it as a challenge in retrospect. I can sit here today on this podcast and say that was a challenge back then. Back then, I just, you know, was fully focused on I'm going to excel in my career. I want the next step. I want to learn the next thing. And I want to be as good as whoever that top person in the room was. You and know, it didn't matter top. whether they were men or women. I, I, me personally, I could care less, but I think yeah. because I had that kind of openness to it. Mm. It allowed me to kind of just, you know, get, get right into it and just do the job and not get into all the uh, superficial dynamics, you know, yes. that exist in, in politics and the world of work and that type of thing. All that noise, you just kind of tuned right. it out and, and exactly. just went for it. Fantastic. <laughs> did the job. I just did the job. <laughs> Fantastic. Now let's talk a little bit about influence. So was there an outcome of some work that you did that you're proud of. And can you talk a little bit about how you influenced that outcome? I would say that probably my most proud moment with regards to work would be um, Hurricane Katrina. So I was building the football stadium in Houston and I had just left and taken a new job with another, uh, another facility in Florida And I got called back to Houston when Hurricane Katrina came specifically because I knew the building, I knew the layout, I knew what each room could do from a planning side. And there wasn't really another person at that moment in time that had that skill set about that particular project. And so when all of the victims came from New Orleans to Houston, everyone in Houston was kind of like, oh my gosh, what do we do? Well, they all end up at the convention center, but how are we going to do this? So I ended up flying in within a couple hours of, of all of this starting to happen was there for 28 days. We set up everything from schools to nurseries, feeding, showering. Um, I mean, you name it. it it's wow. literally how to get your social security card because they all came without identification and without any kind of information because they just ran, you know, and got on buses that were leaving the city that was flooding, you know? So I think being able to contribute to that and understanding the inner workings of emergency management, that ultimately led me to do probably another 15 or so hurricanes that were more on a mass level like that. And I helped write some laws that went into effect in Washington surrounding uh, mega shelters and the policies behind mega shelters. I laugh now because for the most part, there probably will never be another mega shelter just because of COVID. But at the time, you know, it was the cutting edge stuff that you were working on that you could use these stadiums and convention centers for. And it it really was a a great use when you take out pandemic, you know, yeah. kind of. <laughs> kind yeah. Of side of- <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I can remember Katrina and listening to the news reports of how difficult it was 
Right. It's more than difficult. Really, safety was an issue. And oh like you said, even the most I, simple applying for or getting a social security number. I mean, you know, that's 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 a challenge. Well, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, the that uh, not having the identification and having to create all the systems and get the right people in place to initiate those things. But it was also then, you know, the philanthropic celebrities that also then yeah. wanted to all of a sudden be seen in right. these shelters and stuff. And and that created, I mean, it was wonderful when they donated money and donated things, but it when they were there, it created an entire level, another level of security and took a lot of personnel, you know, that was helping with the emergency, a way to now deal deal with security details and things like oh. that for these celebrities. So I mean, we had presidents, we had all kinds of people that went through, you know, basketball stars. I mean, you name Oprah Winfrey. I mean, you know, it was just constant. And all of a sudden, there was a certain point, like a week into it, that here came all the celebrities, you know. <laughs> and, oh, wow. and I remember that that was very challenging, but you know, in yes. a good way, because in the end, the mass majority of them donated some level of big funding that helped all these people. I mean, there was 28,000 people in that one shelter. Yeah. Um, for, for a month, you know, that wow. didn't have anything. So, yeah. And some, some little cities or, or communities don't even have that many people. So oh, I, I, I wanted to say it's really sometimes so very interesting how people that you really would never hear about that make such an impact on outcomes. Like, for instance, you talked about the laws that you helped write. I mean, right. thank you for all that work that you did for for the community. I think that's that's worth talking yeah. about. So, so thank, thank you for you. that. So, let me ask you: if you had one piece of advice for our listeners, what would that be? Don't conform. Just don't conform. You know, be yourself. Be true to what your knowledge base is. You know, it's okay to say no. And it's also okay to say, I don't know, let me think about it, or let me look into that a little bit, and I'll get back to you. And I think a lot of people are so, you know, we live in the in the age now, you know, this time is very like, I need an answer right now. And it's like, right. you know, your text message comes in, and you feel like you have to respond immediately and acknowledge that you got the text message, but you really don't, you know, yeah. and I think I've had the, you know, luckily with my age, I mean, I've had it all the way from, you know, yeah, we were on computers, but people still sent mail. And then they started an email and then they started responding to emails. And it's like, you know, and now we're into text messages and emails and voicemails. And, you know, there's 20,000 ways now to reach a person and the average person cannot keep up with that much information and that's needing a response. And so I find it that it's okay to not necessarily have an answer immediately and to be able to think through things so that you can continue to still be strategic in the way that you are responding. And it needs to be right for you, you know, because a lot of times I see people just, you know, quickly respond, but it's like, well, you just set yourself up for another three hours of work now because you just said yes, instead of just saying, I won't be able to get to that till, you know, Wednesday, I'm whatever, you know, type of thing. So I, I think, you know, just and not conforming, you know, just don't be the standard and don't be what everyone expects, you know, be yourself and be professional and learn, you know, just realize that you don't know everything. I mean, I'm, I've have a wonderful career and experience in a certain field. I'm taking so much of that experience and now applying it into the retail component and real estate component, but that is not my industry of trade. You know, right. I just, 
am a good deal maker. You know, I understand how to vet partners. I understand business. I've run big businesses. So I can sit here and immediately, you know, talk to someone and go, this person could align very well with Foxtail. How are we going to make this work? And then I work through that channel, not necessarily let's put them in the box. And if I can check off all these things, then they can do it. You know, it's now let's get to know this person and see what's going to work for them, what's going to work for us, and then try and make that all happen. Wow, that's that's great because it is true that people when they're starting their careers actually have a tendency to conform, right? Because they want to make sure that they're doing their job correctly. But it's those people like you and me who are bold enough to think outside the box and not conform that actually stand out. So that's a great piece of advice, Rosie. I appreciate that so much. So we've come to the part of the podcast where I head over the mic to you and you have a question for me. (laughs) Perfect. I do. Okay. What would you like to see happen in our education system to create a more dynamic retail and commercial space? One, you know, one thing I've, I've realized is uh, again, it goes back to the conforming side, but what can we offer the youth and the next generation of realtors and commercial brokers and, you know, developers so that they excel? Sure. And that's a really, really great question. As a matter of fact, when you think about our youth and how very limited, I think, the offerings are when it comes to commercial real estate and real estate in general, you can see how it's not easy for the youth to even think about or know about a career in most especially commercial real estate. So I'll tell you a little story just about a couple of weeks ago. I'm very much involved in the CCIM organization and locally here in uh, in Central Florida, we recently partnered with the Bethune-Cookman University in putting on a class, which is called Foundations of uh, Commercial Real Estate, through the CCIM program, it's a two-day course, and it's taught by at that that particular class was taught by Blaine Strickland, who of course is is a speaker. He's also uh, very well known in the commercial real estate industry. And just about Friday of last week, I encountered some of the ladies that actually went to that foundation course, and they're from BCU, Bethune Cookman University, only to find out that they don't have a real estate program there. And there are many universities and colleges that don't have a real estate program. And if your question is, what would I like to see more? I would like to see more of organizations actually partnering with the universities, local universities, and try to maybe establish a real estate program because there is a lot of wealth building that occurs with real estate. And the biggest wealth building tool is owning your own real estate, whether it be a house or or commercial real estate. And also it has a lot to do with small businesses as they go into commercial space. I think there is a vacuum, so to speak, with regards to that. As a matter of fact, I was just in a Zoom call with ICSC and they were talking about how antiquated right? Our industry is because we're still very male dominated. We know we're having challenges with trying to get the youth to participate. And what a great question. I think it really just boils down to being able to 
advocate for more of that type of education, especially in university universities and colleges, because that's right. really where where the light bulb kind of turns on for our youth. So right. thank you, thank you for of that course. question. Yeah. yeah so no, did, did you have any thoughts as to what else we could do for education? Well, I will tell you that a lot of business students and a lot of these other programs that are, you know, the, let's call them the more well-known programs and stuff at these universities have a lot of internship courses yes. where they have an entire semester that they have to dedicate towards some type of professional industry. And I do think that if, you know, real estate in, you know, the, the industry of real estate, you know, if all these different groups that are involved reach out to some of these schools, and even if it's on a one-on-one -on -one basis that you're taking an intern for a semester and you're teaching them the ropes and you're mentoring them and you're letting them, you know, kind of walk through your shoes as you're doing business, there's nothing more valuable, you know, for these, you know, young people coming out of college than to actually work with a professional, not necessarily in just a push it you know, job, here's your computer and, and do this letter for me and that kind of stuff. But the, let me understand what it is that they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. And I, I, I'm hoping that these, more you know, people, um, university programs, I think that would be a huge help. Yeah. And, and I'm hoping that there will be more advocates for, for education, because that's really what we need. People who can who hold the key, who can open the doors. So Rosie, I want to thank you so much for spending time with me. I think this was fantastic. I know, again, you're a very busy woman and so excited for the big expansion of Foxdale. <laughs> and <you>. uh, <laughs> I mean, it's what a fantastic model. I mean, it, it's really just, yeah, it's coming to the marketplace and your your brand is just completely different from the rest of the the coffee shops that are, uh, that are it's, it's I even... coffee and it's experiential, you know, and that's what people want now, you know, they were all, uh, we're all able after this pandemic to go, what are the priorities in my life? And yeah. people want experiences now and they, they don't mind high quality experiences, but they want a good quality experience if they're going to pay a little bit more for it. And not everything is about quick service. You know, I find myself less and less wanting the quick service and preferring like, just someone give me good customer service, you Absolutely. know, and when you find it, you return, you know, and you become a patron. And, and I think that that's where we're really just hitting, hitting the mark on that one. Yeah, you sure do. You sure do. Well, thank you, Rosie. And thank um, you. I hope to run into you in one of the conferences or maybe we, can even, it. we can even do a deal. We'll together. grab a cup of coffee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. And, and you have a wonderful, wonderful week ahead of you. Thank you. You too. Take care. Take care.